Welcome to the Life Giver Marriage Podcast, a place for honest conversation and hope for your military or first responder marriage. This is your host, Corey Weathers, and I'm honored to share this journey with you. Close your eyes for a minute if you want to see the world. And just float up to heaven inside a bubble colored pearl. Touch me to the ground if you wanna kiss the stars. Cause these are the only ways you're ever gonna give her far. Welcome to the Life Giver Podcast. This is Corey Weathers. And if you are hearing a little bit of excitement in my voice, there's a couple reasons for that. One, we successfully got through another PCS, and it was also during Christmas, which is not easy, not for the marriage, not for the family, not for the kids. And so um, not to mention trying to do Christmas around all of that and trying to see family. So um, we have successfully survived that and are settled in. Um, But also, if you listened to the last episode, I took a little bit of a sabbatical and I want to thank all of you guys for sticking with me on that and being patient as I was waiting to come back. Um, Some of you were really excited on social media when I announced that LifeGiver was coming back with a new season, a new year. Um, because you were kind of holding your breath on that. And so thank you for your patience. Um, I hope that more than anything else, me taking this time of rest encourages you that if you are finding yourself in a place of burnout, if you're finding yourself um, weary or lacking that creativity, that it's a good time to take a break. I really was struggling with words and couldn't come up with topics. And I just really realized that my creative side was just gone. And so taking that sabbatical, also making sure that my priorities were in the right place and taking care of my family during a move was really priority. And I think because of taking that rest, um, I have a lot of new creative ideas and I'm excited about 2018 and I'm excited to share some of that with you today. So if you are listening to the podcast, I just want to let you know that this episode is actually also available by video. Um, because what we're going to be talking about today, um, I've incorporated some videos into and throughout the episode. And so if you think that you would maybe benefit by watching it instead of listening to it, you can switch over right within the LifeGiver app and actually watch that video um, instead. But if you are somebody that likes to listen to the episodes instead, maybe you're running, maybe you're um, running errands or whatever, um, that's fine too. I really do believe that the video segments that I'm going to include in today's episode should be fine for you to just listen to. But I think that I'd like to give a heads up that the videos that I'm going to be using today um, might be for more mature audiences. So if you have kids in the car or if you're playing this in the house where the kids can listen, just be aware of that as we go through the podcast um, and just giving you that caveat and heads up. So before we get into the topic today, I wanted to give you guys some updates for the year and what you can look forward to. So number one, I am super excited that the Life Giver podcast is going to bring you some really great new and fresh interviews. I have already lined up some amazing experts that are going to breathe life into your marriage and into your family. I have people that are experts in marriage, some that are experts in conflict, some that are experts in in working with children, and um, and I'm always open to hearing some ideas of people that you would like to hear from. So um, please send those in. My email is Corey, C-O-R-I-E at CoreyWeathers.com. 
Um, I'm always up for hearing your ideas. So some of those interviews are going to be within the military and first responder culture. Others are actually going to be um, civilians who are experts in their field that can really teach us a lot on how we can strengthen our marriage and our family. So I also want to announce some changes to the LifeGiver app. If you have not downloaded the LifeGiver app, I'm not sure why it is free. Um, it is just an easy way for you to access, access this podcast podcast, if I can get that out, um, access the videos that are on some of these episodes like today. Um, and it's a great interactive app. And so there's curriculum on there where you can work on your marriage. I have the Enliven Marriage curriculum. It's a free 12-week um, like marriage study that Matt and I wrote during one of our deployments actually aimed at helping you strengthen your marriage and address some issues that we find impacts every marriage. So it helps you have some very important conversations if you're not having them already. You can do that right within the app in an interactive way where if we ask you a certain question to, you know, to journal or answer, um, it gives you actually interactive space within the app where you can answer your questions right within the app and email them to your spouse if they're deployed or gone. Um, and by the way, any of the interactive features in the app actually save to your device. So I can't see them. No one else can see them. Um, it is just saved to your device. And if you were to get a new phone and have to re-download the app, the LifeGiver app, um, it will save within the app. But in order to do that, just a quick heads up, um, there is a way for you to create a username and password in the settings feature of the LifeGiver app. And that will give you the ability to save all of those interactive notes that you are doing within the app so that if you have to re-download the app, you still have them and you don't lose them. Speaking of that, you will see throughout the app a take a note feature. And this is one of my favorite things about the LifeGiver app. It's actually a way for you to do free journaling. It's like a notes in your um, Apple device if you have that. Um, but it gives you a safe place to journal if you like to journal on your phone. Again, no one can see it except for you. It is on your device. And so um, another great ability to just take a note on this episode or take a note on that portion of curriculum if you're following it. Um, either way, lots of different, and it does combine all of your notes right within the settings where you can access any of your notes at any time. So again, one of my favorite features of the app. Um, also now on the app are my favorite resources. So when I'm doing counseling and coaching, I get asked again and again, is there something that I can go read where I can work on this area of my life? And I tend to recommend, you know, my favorite books that to me have really made a difference, not only in my life, but actually other people's lives. And so I have now created a way where you can access any of those books. And I have, you know, kind of categorized them with marriage topics, um, self-growth uh, topics, um, if you're doing the strength finder with me, um, how you can take that to the next level. So all of those resources, you can find all those links. They take you straight to Amazon or you can just order it off Amazon. It's super easy. So that is now also part of the app. One other thing about the app before we get into today's topic is that um, I recognize that some of you guys grow by doing work on your own. So using the notes feature, um, listening to these podcasts, reading a book, but others of you grow best with community. And honest, I honestly, I think that we need both. It's important for us to have that community. And those, I think I'm preaching to the choir on this. I think everybody listening within the first responder community and the military community know how important um, support is, local support. And so 
Um, I'm encouraging you that if you feel isolated and if you feel alone, it is a great time for you to start looking for that support. So while I'm not at a place where I'm ready to pull a trigger on creating life giver groups where we're actually forming groups where you are, um, and if you're interested in that, by the way, then reach out and let me know. If there's enough demand, we'll create it. Um, but I do want to give you the ability to either start a group or have some of the curriculum and things that you would need if you wanted to start a group. So um, there's a group section now on the app. And so basically it gives you some, some of those resources, some of those curriculums that you can just pick up and say, hey, does anybody wanna do this book club with me? Does anybody wanna do this curriculum with me? Let's form a group. And everything that you need is right there within that section of the app. So of course, if you have read the Sacred Spaces book that I wrote in 2016, um, if you didn't know, there is everything you could need to do a book club with Sacred Spaces. So not just the the book is not on the app, but um, if the 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 vlogs that I did when I was on the trip overseas, all of those are on the app for easy access. There is also an actual book club study guide that you can um, do interactively within the app. So everything that you would need to do from week to week with your group is right there. And all of the participants can use the LifeGiver app to answer the questions week to week there. Um, there's also additional episodes from the LifeGiver podcast that were done specifically centered around sacred spaces. And so it also gives you an easy place to access those as well. But I've also included, again, that Enliven Marriage and also Strength-Based Marriage, a Bible study plan um, that actually Bible.com or um, version, if you have that app, um, I have the ability to point you to some of my favorite studies if you just want to do something by yourself or with a group. So if you're interested in doing something in community, I really want the LifeGiver app to be a place where you can um, have a little bit of that resource as well. So today, what I really wanted to talk with you about is um, a new exciting thing I'm going to roll out called LifeGiver Stories. Now, if you've listened to the podcast before, you know that I enjoy telling stories. I enjoy interviewing people with powerful stories. Um, really, the reason why I became a clinician, well, not why I became a clinician, because I really wanted to be part of people's healing in a mental health way. But what I found in my career of doing counseling is that my favorite part of the process is hearing someone's story and having the honor to be a part of someone's story. But even more than that, I found over time that true healing, that people were getting stuck in their stories and in their trauma and their difficult times, um, but that true healing wasn't really happening until a person figured out how to bring purpose from their pain. And, um, and usually that involved serving other people. And so when I was working with somebody through their trauma and by telling their story in the counseling office, eventually when they were ready and it was the healthy time to do it, I was beginning to encourage them, what are you now going to do with this painful chapter that was part of your life? That chapter is over. We're in a new chapter now. And what is not necessarily going to be the end of the book, but what's the next chapter? What's the next season? How do we help the reader, if you will, that's observing our life make sense of what happened to you. Um, and there has to be that movement forward. There has to be kind of that third section of your life, right? So you have the first section, which is before a difficult season of your life. Then we have a middle, you know, a middle section where 
life gets really hard. Um, but everybody loves a good story where how does it resolve? How does it move forward? Nobody wants to be stuck, especially the person living that story, in that place of brokenness. And that is my favorite thing. And so I'm now rolling out what's called Life Giver Stories. And this is a little bit of a risk for me because um, really this is dependent on all of you guys and whether or not you are willing to share your story or whether you're able to point me to somebody who has an amazing story that is inspirational. So um, really, whether or not this actually works is dependent on all of you guys listening but I'm very excited about it. So today is all about Life Giver Stories and um, how you can actually begin to think about sharing your story. And to do that, I'm actually going to use clips, news clips um, of a very inspiring story um, that I saw on the news that I think does a great job of this. And it's just, it's brought tears to my eyes and it's not a military story or a first responder story, but I think it's something that's going to move you um, a lot. So I personally am inspired by um, journalists who can tell a really good story. And so I grew up, you know, watching Lisa Ling. In fact, when I, I remember being in middle school, when they were kind of doing her little, I don't know if any of you guys remember this, but she did like a little school news show. And I remember her starting off that way. And I remember um, being inspired on her ability to tell stories. And she still does that today. And um and that's just one of the many reasons why I love to do the podcast and interview people um, where I can share those stories with you. Um, okay, so I think in order to get into this, um, we are going to actually be talking about Allie Raisman. She is an, a U.S. Olympic gymnast. Um, she won two gold medals, and she's actually um, supposedly working towards being in the 2020 Olympics. Um, and if you have not heard her story, she recently came out as one of the many, many gymnasts who were sexually abused by their doctor, Larry Nasser, um, that was employed by the U.S. Olympic um, Gymnast, I don't know if it's association or committee or whatever, but um, association, I think, actually. Um, and if you've been following this news story, it is tragic. Um, it's incredibly tragic. But we're not going to actually stay stuck on the tragic part. Although I think part of every good piece of storytelling, we have to kind of dip into that. Um, we're going to pull back out of it by the end, and I'm really excited about where that's going to go. And so what I'm actually going to do today is, since the topic is not so much me interviewing Allie, although I'd love to do that. So if you guys have connections to Allie, I'd love to <laughs> have the opportunity to do that. But I think more important for me today is to encourage you to think about your own story. So we're really gonna be breaking down um, this process that um, we've seen Allie go through in the news on um, her figuring out how to share her story and using that as inspiration to help you figure out those chapters in your life as well in case you would like to actually be on, um, on the podcast even maybe or just start to share your own story just wherever you are in an appropriate way. And I believe that's a really difficult thing for most people is how do I share my story without um, kind of getting stuck in it or how do I do it in a healthy way? So we're going to talk about that because I want um, to be a part of that healing process for you. So I think what I would like to start with um, is an interview that um, Allie did on the Today Show where she shares um about her coming out, about her being a victim of sexual molestation by Larry, Dr. Larry Nazar. 
And um, she shares in this interview um, the process of what it was like for her to share the story and why she did. And she shares a little bit in her book that she's just come out uh, with this part of being authentic of what really happened to her. And so I'm going to go ahead and let this roll into this clip where you can hear um, that story. Three-time Olympic gold medalist Allie Raceman makes the incredible look effortless. The captain of the gymnastics team that won back-to-back -back gold medals. First with the group dubbed the Fierce Five in 2012, and again with the final five in 2016. We're very excited. It doesn't really feel real. But now the 23-year-old gymnastics star is speaking out about alleged sexual abuse at the hands of her team's doctor, opening up in her new book, Fierce, alleging that Dr. Larry Nasser, who now faces 22 counts of first-degree criminal sexual conduct, abused her. I would lie on the table, my hands involuntarily balling themselves into fists as his ungloved hands worked their way under my clothing. Treatment sessions with him always made me feel tense and uncomfortable. The two-time Olympian says she dreaded being worked on by Nasser, becoming the second member of the Fierce Five to speak out against Nasser. Last month, Michaela Maroney broke her silence as part of the Me Too movement, saying Nasser began abusing her at age 13. Nasser has previously denied accusations against him and has pleaded not guilty to the assault charges. His attorney did not comment because of a gag order in the criminal trial. USA Gymnastics says they are sorry any athlete was harmed by Nasser, noting the first time they became aware that a gymnast expressed concerns about the doctor was in 2015. An investigator interviewed the young woman and other gymnasts, including Raceman. A month later, Nasser was relieved of his duties and the FBI was notified. In a statement, the organization says USA Gymnastics regrets if Allie felt any constraints in sharing her full experiences with the independent investigator or at any time, as the USA Gymnastics did seek Allie's input in this matter. Allie's passion and concern for athlete safety is shared by USA Gymnastics. Our athletes are our priority. And Allie Raceman joins us now. Allie, Hi. good morning to good you. Good morning. You are doing a very brave thing. Thank Did you. you have thoughts about not including that portion of your life <laughs> in this book? Did you think, you know what, maybe I'll just put that off to the side, deal with it later? From the moment that I realized that it happened to me, um, I wanted to you know, talk about it. Um, and then when I found out I was going to be writing a book, I felt like I wanted to include the best moments of my life, but also the worst moments of my life because they both make us into who we are. Um, although the hardest parts are really difficult to talk about, you know, even right now it's uncomfortable and it's hard for me to talk about, but it's made me into a stronger person. And if you're going to write a book, you have to include everything, in my opinion. Well, it's very gray and it's confusing for you as a young girl. You were just yes. 15 years old. You're in a foreign country. Your mm -hmm. parents weren't with you. This was a doctor, Dr. Yeah. Nasser, who they said was a, a good guy. He was going to take good care mm -hmm. of you. So you just kind of trusted. Yeah, I always thought he was weird, but I just thought he was weird. And I, I want people to know that I just, I really didn't know it was happening to me. You know, he was a doctor and he told me that his treatment would help 
heal all of my injuries. And I was so young, I had never really worked with another you know, doctor or trainer before, and everyone said he was the best. He would give me these gifts, so I really thought he was my friend, and he always seemed like he had my back. You know, he was such yeah. a master manipulator, and I think that's what's important for people to understand is that these monsters are so good at manipulating you, so you, you're so brainwashed to think. I thought he was so nice. You call him a monster. You, you think that of him. I do. I think he's a monster, and I think... It, it is so disturbing to me what he did to me and so many other people. This is so much bigger than just me. I mean, it's such a it's such a horrific thing to happen. And um, I stand here with all the other survivors that have that have you know that have been abused by Larry and other people that have been abused by anyone. But it's just it's disgusting. Coming forward is not easy. And you say in your book here. There seem to be so many reasons not to speak up. I tick them off in my mind. First of all, what if I was wrong? Maybe what he did was legitimate, just like he said all along. Maybe people wouldn't believe me or would think I was exaggerating or being dramatic or they'd hate me. Maybe they would think I was doing it for attention. And then there was Larry's family to think of. What if I ruined their lives? Mm. That decision to finally say enough. Like, what was that catalyst? I think I realized, you know, I'm... I think it's totally normal to be afraid of what people are going to think of you and I think society sometimes makes it hard for people to come forward because you always have people that victim shame which we yeah. have to stop that because it's awful um, and you know I just I just I, I wanted to do the right thing I knew mm -hmm. it was the right thing and, and you know I actually got a letter 36 hours after I spoke up in August I was so nervous about speaking up I spoke out against USA Gymnastics mm -hmm. and the USOC and I got a letter from a 14 year old girl and she said she read my statements and because of that um, she had the courage to tell her mother that her mm -hmm. father had been um, sexually abusing her and he threatened her life at times and so I realized that letter is more important to me than any medal I've ever won in my life. Like, it, it, she changed my life because she made me realize this is the right thing. And if I can help one person, then, you know, then that's totally what it's all about. Dr. Larry Nasser denies all of it, and USA Gymnastics said, hey, we did everything we could. Do you think that USA Gymnastics did everything they could? I do not, and I still think that they're not doing everything they can. You know, they keep releasing pretty much the same similar statement that they welcome to work with me but what people don't realize is after the private investigator private investigator came to see me in 2015 um, I was kind of I made it clear that I you know he was touching me make me uncomfortable mm -hmm. but I was making excuses for him which I realized later that's often what people do when they're manipulated and so I kept reaching out saying I wanted to meet with her again because after I had time to process it I realized this is really bad mm -hmm. and I was basically told you know just to kind of keep it quiet and that they were handling it and so they didn't let me help I want to help I want to do mm -hmm. more the 60 minute interview tonight this interview this is just the beginning I'm just getting started and I'm tell. not going to stop until I get what I want which is change I can tell that. And by the Thank way, you. Allie, congrats on this. And congrats on this book. It is full of life lessons. It is full of if you don't think you can and yeah. you need something to read to push you over, this is the book <clears throat> that you need to read. Yeah. Allie, Thank you. we're proud of everything that you've <laughs> done you for so gymnastics. Much. Your mom's here, I know, cheering <laughs> you, you on. Her support, yes. Uh, <laughs> All right, and how about 2020 in Tokyo? Should we book yes. our tickets and you'll be there? Yes, yes, hopefully. I want people to know one one bad chapter, you know, yeah. in the book or in your yes. life, it doesn't mean your story's over. You know, I think we, we all have a story. Everyone has been through something. We all got to support each other and, you know, 
I, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be stronger, but I'm going to I'm going to create change. I know you are. And wait, what did we say about Tokyo? Yeah or no? Yes, yes. We are? Yes, yes. Is that sorry, a definite yes, yes? Yes. All right. Sorry. Allie, thanks again. Her <laughs> Thank book you. is called Fierce. To find out more about it, head to today.com slash shop. Okay. So very powerful, incredibly powerful. And so one of the first things that I want to point out when it's um, about sharing your own story is that number one, it doesn't always have to include graphic detail. Now for her, she talks about being authentic. And I think that that is incredibly important that what the world needs more than anything else is authenticity. And by her sharing some of what had happened to her in her book and now publicly, um, it gave her this opportunity to be authentic. Now, because this involves a legal battle and because um, she has to provide evidence through her story, um, some of the graphic details of what happened to her is a little bit more public. So she shares, even in that last interview, specifically portions from her book of um, what um, Larry Nasser had done to her or how he made her uncomfortable. And so you're going to hear in this next segment, I'm going to give you some portions of her actual um, testimony and her statement actually in the court. And again, if this contains graphic details, this is because this is a legal battle. So I think what I want to point out with all of you is that when you're telling your story, the details don't have to matter as much as the fact that something happened to you and then what you're going to do with it. So we don't have to go into graphic details. It's often the details that we feel sucked into the pit and we kind of get stuck there, right? Because as soon as, especially if it's a tragic, traumatic experience that you've been through, abuse, um, such as Allie's case, um, or even something more traumatic where we're talking about abuse that was ongoing for a very long time that, was, that can be very graphic and very traumatic. The, in fact, the more traumatic, the easier it is for you to get stuck in it, right? And so that's why we end up avoiding telling our story and why a lot of our first responders and service members have a hard time sharing their stories because they tend to get stuck in the details. Those details cause flashbacks. They cause um, the body to actually remember physically in a sensory way what that experience was like. And now we're trapped in our body and the memory. And then we're having a hard time getting out of that chapter again, right? So I really want to encourage you that when you're telling your story, um, you don't have to share the details. And anybody who's listening to your story that asks for those details and asks you to go into that, um, that you can answer. It's not really necessary, the details. It is your story and you have the power and the ability to not go into that. Um, I was really inspired and moved by the Me Too movement. Um, there's a lot of opinions coming out as to how far is too far with harassment, and that's not necessarily where I'm going to go today. Um, but what inspired me is that it in inspired other people to start sharing their stories. Selma Hayek actually came out during the Me Too movement where she wrote a beautiful blog piece where she did share um, some of the details without being too graphic um, that was incredibly brave for her to share. So there are times and appropriate places to share the details, um, but just because you're sharing your story doesn't mean you have to go into such great detail that the listener gets focused on the details instead of the overall message. And so I really want to encourage you guys that if you want to start sharing your story or if you want to submit yours to the Life Giver um, Stories 
segment of the podcast, um, that you don't have to be afraid of that and you don't have to go into the details, that you can go on a very high level and share the basics of what happened and that the listener will value that experience and not necessarily need you to go deeper than that. So um, I think what we're going to do next is I'm going to um, roll into the next clip, which will be a little bit longer of um, Ali's statement in court. And this is so powerful. And I want to share the full version of it. It's about 10 to 12 minutes. But it's so powerful that I really want to share it with you because of what happens, because of her making the statement and sharing her story. Um, again, if you have little ones listening, um, I definitely want you to be aware of who's in the room um, and also to remember that this is a legal case and this is why she's making such a powerful statement. Um, but this was actually her statement in the court hearing. Your Honor, thank you for the opportunity to make this statement here today. And thank you for providing the time and flexibility for all the other brave survivors to make their statement. Each survivor deserves to be heard equally. I didn't think I would be here today. I was scared and nervous. It wasn't until I started watching the impact statements from the other brave survivors that I realized I too needed to be here. Larry, you do realize now that we, this group of women you so heartlessly abused over such a long period of time, are now a force and you are nothing. The tables have turned, Larry. We are here. We have our voices, and we are not going anywhere. And now, Larry, it's your turn to listen to me. There is no map that shows you the pathway to healing. Realizing that you are a survivor of sexual abuse is really hard to put into words. I cannot adequately capture the level of disgust I feel when I think about how this happened. Larry, you abused the power and trust I and so many others placed in you, and I am not sure I will ever come to terms with how horribly you manipulated and violated me. You are the USA Gymnastics National Team Doctor, the Michigan and the United States Olympic Team Doctor. You were trusted by so many and took advantage of countless athletes and their families. The effects of your actions are far-reaching. Abuse goes way beyond the moment, often haunting survivors for the rest of their lives, making it difficult to trust and impacting their relationships. It is all the more devastating when such abuse comes at the hand of such a highly regarded doctor, since it leaves survivors questioning the organizations and even the medical profession itself, upon which so many rely. I am here to face you, Larry, so you can see I've regained my strength that I'm no longer a victim, I'm a survivor. I am no longer that little girl you met in Australia where you first began grooming and manipulating. As for your letter yesterday, you are pathetic to think that anyone would have any sympathy for you. You think this is hard for you? Imagine how all of us feel. Imagine how it feels to be an innocent teenager in a foreign country, hearing a knock on the door, and it's you. I don't want you to be there, but I don't have a choice. Treatments with you were mandatory. You took advantage of that. You even told on us if we didn't want to be treated by you, knowing full well the troubles that would cause for us. 
lying on my stomach with you on my bed, insisting that your inappropriate touch would help to heal my pain. The reality is you caused me a great deal of physical, mental, and emotional pain. You never healed me. You took advantage of our passions and our dreams. You made me uncomfortable, and I thought you were weird. But I felt guilty because you were a doctor, so I assumed I was the problem for thinking badly of you. I wouldn't allow myself to believe that the problem is you. From the time we were little, we are, ta we are taught to trust doctors. You are so sick, I can't even comprehend how angry I feel when I think of you. You lied to me and manipulated me to think that when you treated me, you were closing your eyes because you had been working hard when you were really touching me, an innocent child, to pleasure yourself. Imagine feeling like you have no power and no voice. Well, you know what, Larry? I have both power and voice, and I am only beginning to just use them. All these brave women have power, and we will use our voices to make sure you get what you deserve, a life of suffering spent replaying the words delivered by this powerful army of survivors. I am also here to tell you to your face, Larry, that you have not taken gymnastics away from me. I love this sport, and that love is stronger than the evil that resides in you in those who enabled you to hurt many people. You already know you're going away to a place where you won't be able to hurt anybody ever again. But I am here to tell you that I will not rest until every last trace of your influence on this sport has been destroyed like the cancer it is. Your abuse started 30 years ago, but that's just the first reported incident we know of. If over these many years just one adult listened, and had the courage and character to act. This tragedy could have been avoided. I and so many others would have never, ever met you. At the 2016 Olympic Games, the president of the USOC said that the USOC would not conduct an investigation and even defended USA Gymnastics as one of the leaders in developing policies to protect athletes. That's the response a courageous woman gets when she speaks out. And when others joined those athletes and began speaking out with more stories of abuse, were they acknowledged? No. It is like being abused all over again. I have represented the United States of America in two Olympics and have done so successfully. And both USA Gymnastics and the United States Olympic Committee have been very quick to capitalize and celebrate my success. But did they reach out when I came forward? No. So at this point, talk is worthless to me. We're dealing with real lives in the future of our sport. We need to believe this won't happen again. For this sport to go on, we need to demand real change, and we need to be willing to fight for it. It's clear now that if we leave it up to these organizations, history is likely to repeat itself. To know what changes are needed requires us to understand what exactly happened and why it has happened. This is a painful process, but it's the only way to identify all the factors that contributed to this problem and how they can be avoided in the future. This is the only way to learn from these mistakes and make gymnastics a safer sport. If ever there was a need to fully understand a problem, it is this one right now. To accept that problem is limited to just what we know now is irresponsible, delusional even. Each new day seems to bring a new survivor. We have no idea just how much damage you caused, Larry, and we have no idea how deep these problems go. Now is the time to acknowledge that the very person who sits here before us now, who perpetrated the worst epidemic of sexual abuse in the history of sports, 
who was going to be locked up for a long, long time. This monster was also the architect of policies and procedures that are supposed to protect athletes from sexual abuse for both USA Gymnastics and the USOC. If we are to believe in change, we must first understand the problem and everything that contributed to it. Now is not the time for false reassurances. We need an independent investigation of exactly what happened, what went wrong, and how it can be avoided for the future. Only then can we know what changes are needed. Only then can we believe such changes are real. Your Honor, I ask you to give Larry the strongest possible sentence which his actions deserve. For by doing so, you will send a message to him and to other abusers that they cannot get away with their horrible crimes. They will be exposed for the evil they are, and they will be punished to the maximum extent of the law. Let this, sen let this sentence strike fear in anyone who thinks it is okay to hurt another person. Abusers, your time is up. The survivors are here standing tall, and we are not going anywhere. And please, Your Honor, stress the need to investigate how this happened so that we can hold accountable those who empowered and enabled Larry Nasser, so we can repair and once again believe in this wonderful sport. My dream is that one day, everyone will know what the words Me Too signify, but they will be educated and able to protect themselves from predators like Larry, so that they will never, ever, ever have to say the words Me Too. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to go. So I think that this is, um, so many things come to mind for me. This is a huge moment, not only in her life, um, but the, as she calls it, the army of people that she's standing there and representing. She was the captain of the U.S. gymnast team. And just knowing that she took that opportunity to not only be a leader um, for the five that she represented, but also so many others that she says that she met for the first time, you know, through this court battle. Um, but so brave, so inspiring. And I can, you can almost hear behind her voice the amount of courage it took for her to do this. And um, I just want to say that we're not, we're not always going to have that level of courage. Um, and, and thankfully, most of us will not have to go through this kind of public display of our most personal details laid out for everyone to listen to. Um, but what I am inspired by Ali on is not only her ability to be authentic with her story and some of the more painful moments of her life, um, but her courage to tell her story because she needed to um, be the leader for those that she was close to um, and in case this was going to happen to anybody else and that that was worth her being exposed in some way. And there's a great risk in that, isn't there? We never know what's going to happen when we put our story out. And we tend to often be afraid of what other people think of us if we do. And that keeps us quiet. And if you've been victimized, um, that is part of the manipulation that teaches us that if we say anything, something bad's going to happen, or people are going to think something about us, or they're going to think that we're weak or that we caused it, or whatever those lies are that are being whispered in your ears. And um, this is a huge example of a risk of coming out and going, I don't know what's going to happen. I have no idea how this is going to impact me and impact my life and my career. Um, but there's something in me that says it's the right thing to do. 
And so as a last um, part of this story, I want to share with you what I saw this morning, actually, that inspired me to do this podcast, which was Allie actually coming back to the Today Show and talking about um, how her statements impacted so many more people than she could have realized and how that has in turn changed her and impacted her. And um, it's hard for me not to even talk about it without tears coming to my eyes. So here is Allie's interview with Hoda Kotb on the Today Show. Allie Raisman is with us now exclusively. Allie, good morning. Good morning. You heard the sentencing up to 175 years. Do you think in your heart that justice was served yesterday? No, I mean, it's not something where you just instantly feel better. Um, You know, we need to hold these organizations accountable. USA Gymnastics, United States Olympic Committee, MSU, they need an independent investigation. This is bigger than Larry Nassar. Uh, We have to get to the bottom of how this disaster happened. If we don't figure out how it did, we can't be confident that it won't happen again. Let's talk about you. You walked in that courtroom, and I was thinking about you standing there. I've seen you on some of the biggest stages in the world with the eyes of of the globe looking at you performing. On this day, you stood in that courtroom. How does that experience compare to the pressure that you felt in the Olympics? You know, I was talking about this with my mom, and I said, in that moment, I almost felt like I was going to compete because at the Olympics, you block out everything and in that moment i blocked out everything i forgot that people were watching me i forgot the media was over there i forgot that larry was right there um and i just i just spoke and i felt like i really had to be strong i feel a responsibility but after i will be honest i was sick i i almost passed out i had the worst headache for hours and i i mean even since then i still don't feel good now it's it's very it's hard to put into words, but I, it makes me literally sick, all the stress and the trauma of everything. But for that moment, I had mm-hmm. to be strong. And, um, but it, I'm very, very exhausted from it. You, was he, what was he doing when you were speaking? He actually looked at me the whole entire time. Every time I made eye contact with him, and even when I stared at him, he looked me in the eye the whole entire time. It was... It was crazy. I did not expect that at all. When was the last time you saw him before that moment in court? The last time I saw him was at training camp in 2015. And um, I've seen him a lot on TV and um, online. And it is every time you see him, it's just, it's crazy. (laughs) But I did look at photos of him online before I went in there just to mentally prepare myself. Uh I didn't know how I would feel. But when I walked in there, being with this army of survivors and even I didn't know that you know most of these girls and these women but I just felt an instant connection we were hugging each other we just we really are an army of survivors and this is just the beginning for us your words were so powerful you say he deserves a life of suffering spent replaying the words delivered by this powerful army of survivors and what struck me about your words Allie was that they weren't just said in that courtroom those big women's marches I was looking there were signs that that were they were quoting your words one said I have both uh, power and voice and I'm only just beginning to see them we are a force and I love the one that just said what Allie Raisman said <laughs> we're all here we have our voices we're not going anywhere you get emotional even even thinking about yeah, that. Yeah, I can't even put into words how much this means to me. I never ever imagined this kind of support in my wildest dreams. I mean, it just, it is, it's so incredible. I, 
I, I don't even have words, but I can't thank everyone enough for the support, and I, it only motivates me to do even more. Speaking of words, Dr. Nasser had some words after that, and he said, these were his words, no words to describe the depth and breadth of how sorry I am, I am shaken to the core. And then in a written statement, he said to the judge, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Do you think he even gets what happened, what he's done? No, I, I don't think he understands. I mean, the fact he wrote a letter to the judge a few days prior saying it was unfair and he shouldn't have to listen to all of us speak. And that's why in my statement, I did call him out and say, how dare yeah. you say this is hard for you? Imagine how all of us feel. I mean, it's just... He deserves to suffer. I mean, it's disgusting what happened. USA Gymnastics um, has gotten rid of some people and announced some big internal investigation. Mm -hmm. Have they done enough? So I recently found out, according to my knowledge, Larry Nasser did not have a medical license in Texas, which is where we went to the ranch and train. It's a national team training center and the Olympic training center. He wasn't so, licensed there? No, according to my knowledge. Uh -huh. So what does that say about USA Gymnastics, the United States Olympic Committee? Whether they knew or didn't know, that's a big problem. And we need to investigate how this happened. I mean, how is that possible? He doesn't have a medical license in Texas. Why do you think USA Gymnastics didn't hear you, didn't hear the others? What was the motivation not to do anything, do you think? I have no idea. I think for so long, well, actually, I guess I do have an idea. For so long, they put medals, reputation, and money over the safety of athletes. And, and even now, you see the United States Olympic Committee, they just spoke out Monday for the first time. They just released a statement for the first time. They've been quiet this whole time. Wait, so after you spoke before um, at this, in this courtroom and since then, have you been contacted by no. USA Gymnastics? No, I've not been contacted by anyone. No one reached out to say, hey, what else happened? No, nothing. I, you know, they say they want an independent investigation right now, but it's easy to say that when there's so much pressure and everyone's watching, but they don't. The judge said, and I'm going to end with this, leave your pain here and go do magnificent things. What are the magnificent things you're going to be doing? I want to make sure this never, ever happens again. And, you know, I ended my statement saying that I hope that everyone one day will be educated so that they will know how to see the warning signs of a predator so that they'll never, ever have to say the words to you. And I meant it with all my heart. I'm, I'm very passionate about creating change and making sure that abuse never happens. Allie, you are strong and you are powerful. Thank you I so much. I love that you came Thank here you. to see us. Thank you. So I can't tell you how inspirational this was for me. It is the reason why I feel like I do what I do. It is so moving and so powerful and so courageous. It is just, I just want to be like, ah, it's just <laughs> to watch somebody go through something so difficult and think that, um, to hide in shame, to be afraid because of the, of the manipulation that she was under, because of the messages from the world, the messages from, you know, she was just hearing and whispers, you know, even in her psyche or the enemy or whatever you want to call it, um, to go from that, to go from a place of hiding to a risky place of telling her story, having no idea what it would do, no idea how it would impact her, her family or other people. And to then just by telling her story and having the courage and taking the risk to do it, to see the number of people that were impacted and changed and inspired to start telling their own story is by far one of the biggest things that bring me joy 
in this life. I have worked with so many people who continue to hide in shame, who don't share their stories or think that there is no way to bring purpose from it. And I am telling you that sharing your story is just one of many ways that you can bring purpose out of your pain. And there's other ways to do it without sharing your story. You can volunteer. You can be a part of causes without saying me too. You can um, just quietly share your story. When someone else speaks out to be able to go, I get it. I understand. And this is what I did. There's so many service members and first responders um, who've gone through traumatic things that just putting your arm as even if you're a guy, right, putting your arm around another guy and saying, I know what this is like. And if you ever need somebody to talk to me too, I totally get it. Empathy is incredibly powerful. And Brene Brown says it is the antidote for shame. And shame is that part of us that says, I'm bad that this happened to me, or I'm bad that I can't do anything about it, or um, that there's something wrong with me, or I'm broken, or whatever. That's shame. The antidote is empathy. And you can't get empathy if you don't share your story. And so at least being able to go to somebody and say, I'm, I'm struggling. I don't know what to do with this. And having the opportunity when somebody else says that to you to say, let me tell you my story. Let me tell you how I'm getting through it. And so I want to walk with you um, how to write your story or how to figure out your story um, and also how to submit it to Life Giver Stories. Um, so number one, going back to what I said in the beginning, um, your story does not have to include graphic details. In fact, if you're submitting it to Life Giver Stories, I am going to ask that you please do not include graphic details. And if you do, then I'm going to take it out. Because, like I said before, it's not always necessary. There are important high-level details that are important for the story to make sense. But um, do your best to try to stay on a high level and hit the high points that are necessary to, for your story to make sense without um, going into that pit, if you will, and getting stuck there. Number two, um, have permission to share your story. If your story especially impacts your spouse, if it's a marriage story or a family story and it impacts your spouse, you need to have permission to share that story, especially if you're submitting it to Life Giver Stories. So um, make sure if it's a marriage story that you have that permission because sometimes those can impact someone's career um, and they need to also be ready because it's part of their story and they need to be also ready for that. Um, but if it's your own story or if you have permission from your spouse, um, here's where I, how I want you to think of it. Um, so think of it in thirds. Think of it as the first third of your story, then this middle section, and then the final section. Um, our stories are constantly being written. We have more to tell. We have more life to live. And so the book isn't over, right? But we can start to make sense of this theme of our life and of the book by starting to section out these parts of your story. So the first section, think about um, what was going on leading up to this very difficult part of your life. Um, the difficult chapter. This is how most amazing books are written, right? How great stories are retold and told again because they're authentic. We all can relate to them somehow. Um, and they involve some kind of suffering or difficulty that we can also relate to. So number one, what was going on in your life before then? When I share sacred spaces, I talk about how going into the military was a very exciting, adventurous time of our life. And we didn't anticipate that first deployment being as difficult as it was and causing as many changes in us. And thank goodness we didn't know that, right? 
but setting up that part of almost that naive part of me that life was going to be perfect and easy and it wasn't, right? Because when you get to the middle section, that's where you get into those high level, um, authentic, this is what suffering and struggle was really like. And this is the moment when I realized that life is actually very hard. And in this section, I'm going to encourage you to think about or um, process, begin to process really what were you feeling? What was that? Not Again, not into the details of what happened, but how did it impact your view of yourself, your, your view of life, of God, of um, forgiveness, right? All these things that made it difficult. And I think you're going to see that so many people will, ha will have said, I've been there. I get that. I've experienced that too. Even if that suffering struggle part of my life was something was something entirely different than what you went through. We all through suffering go through similar stages of grief, similar stages of processing what it means to go through something difficult and what it says about us, what it says about other people, marriage, family, parenting, the struggle of infertility, the struggle of pregnancy, um, a good friend of mine who almost died giving birth, right? That's not um, something you anticipate happening, and it and it alters your view of that experience and what you wanted it to be. So this is a really big moment of struggle that you have to figure out how to share without necessarily going into the details where we're then distracted by the details more than what the story is about. I hope that makes sense. So the third section then is what did you learn from it? How has it made you different? How have you not necessarily moved past it? Because we're not saying that your story has to end in perfection because that wouldn't be authentic, right? But it's more so how has it changed you and made you want to reach out? And this is where we get into purpose. You don't have to know what your life purpose is going to be, but it does make you, like Allie was saying in that last interview, um, that this um, that she wants to do this because she is determined to bring about change. And it was actually seeing the response of other people that fueled that in her, that change is possible. So what do you want to change? What do you want to see the world do with your story? Or what can you do to inspire other people to share their stories? So a third section of hope. We can't tell stories of suffering if we don't pair it with hope. Um, just to do one little piece of spirituality here, this is how God tells stories too. This is how Jesus convicted and challenged us to grow. He shared difficult stories. He stepped into very difficult moments of people's life, but then he brought the hope. He brought with him what is the next step and then what, right? And that's what he brings. And so you have to be able to bring that too. And then what? What happens after that, right? And at least you don't have to have an ending, but you can say, but I think this is what I want to do with that now. And sometimes just sharing your story like Allie did is all you need to get it going. It doesn't have to be a new business. doesn't have to be a new advocacy. It can just be your story is the thing that changes you and changes someone else. So if you are interested in... Um, submitting your life giver story, you can do that a couple ways. Number one, I'm collecting those stories that are written. So if you are more of a writer, um, I'm going to encourage you to share your story. 
Um, try to keep it brief as like a blog piece um, because other people are going to be reading it. So yes, our stories can turn into a book. Believe me, when I turned my book into the editor and into the publisher, they had me rewrite it because I had like three chapters of my entire backstory and not everybody wants to hear the backstory and I had to learn that the hard way. So try to keep it brief like a blog piece if you are writing it. So think about two to 3,000 words and I know that's short but it's the beginning, right? It is a story of hope and encouragement and you want to get through those first two sections in order to get to the last third to bring the hope to somebody else because that's really why they're reading it, isn't it? They want to get to the hope section. So that's why we want to keep it brief. Um, number two, I'm going to stress this again, make sure you have permission from your spouse if you are specifically sharing about your marriage, okay? Um, number three, consider doing video. So don't be scared to do video. And I'm going to give you a couple tips on this. Number one, um, sit in front of a window. In fact, I, if you're watching this, I actually um, have a window that's behind my computer screen so that it has natural light coming in. Um, in fact, I don't have any lights on in the room except for the window that is shining in. So consider doing it. It's not direct light. So the sun isn't shining on me, but it's this indirect light. So consider sitting in front of a window. Use your mobile device. All Most of the mobile devices have fantastic cameras that you can set up and just share your story. Even better is if you have these white earphones that have the mic piece that are attached to the earphones. They're great mics. So don't be afraid to put in those earphones as you're speaking into your mobile device camera um, and telling your story. If you're not using a mobile device, use your camera on your laptop. Not as good as the mobile devices, I have to say. Again, try to use um, your earphones that have a mic attached to it if possible. Um, but if nothing else, definitely sit in front of that window so that we can see you good and, um, and pay attention to those backgrounds, right? Like there's all these funny videos and pictures online on social media about like don't do it in your bathroom, right? Sit in a closet or sit in a room where there's actually lots of fabric and that will kind of dampen the echo. But more importantly, um, share your video and tell your story um, and submit them. And I'm going to have a blog section that will be on the LifeGiver app and on my website where I'm sharing these stories. And I may, even, I may even invite you to be part of the podcast. If you don't get chosen for the podcast, that does not mean that your story isn't good. It just means there are certain um, storylines that I want to make sure in the podcast or if I'm needing to pull more from your story than what you submitted, it's a great opportunity to do that in an interview way. But more importantly, your story can get shared uh, in a place where people are looking for hope. So um, in the um, show notes, I'm going to have the link of where you can submit your story and pick up a few tips on that. Um, but more than anything, I want you to know that regardless of what you've experienced in your life or what you're going through right now in your life, you have a story to share. We all do. It's really more important in how you share it and that you're finding purpose in your pain and in your pain that you've experienced in the past. If you are not ready to share your story, um, know that there will be a time and that there can be a time for you to share it, but go and get the professional help that you need in order to help you get there. There's no shame in that. And in fact, that person can be a beautiful part of your story and part of your journey in helping you get to where you need to go. Thanks for joining me in today's episode. Lots more coming in 2018 and I'll see you guys soon.